0: to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello everyone, Dr. Casey Grover here again, and I am very pleased to welcome you back to another episode of the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care Podcast. This episode will be on the topic of cannabis toxicity. Now, why are we covering this topic? Well, I was speaking to some high schoolers at the end of last year about substance use, and many of the kids had questions about greening out. I had not heard that term before, but when I asked the students to describe what it was, they told me that it was what happened when you smoked too much cannabis. A few students had experienced it and reported symptoms of confusion, sleepiness, and vomiting. We covered cannabis-induced psychosis on this podcast in episode 28, but what these students were referencing appeared to be something different. So it was time to figure this out in an Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast episode. As you can guess from listening to previous episodes of this podcast, the first place I went to get more information on this topic was PubMed. And fortunately, I found a paper on the topic pretty easily, and we will use that paper as part of the evidence-based backbone of this episode. The title of the paper is Acute Cannabis Toxicity, and it was published in Clinical Toxicology in 2019. The lead author is Matthew Noble. The authors begin with an introduction section in which they highlight a few points about cannabis and we will review some of the key points that they make. The cannabis plants, cannabis sativa and cannabis indica, contain over 60 cannabinoid compounds, the most well-known being THC and CBD. As cannabis has been legalized in more and more states here in the United States, it is being more commonly used. Furthermore, with legalization of cannabis, more formulations and preparations of cannabis are on the market, such as vape liquids, gummies, pastries, and high-potency oils, resins, and extracts. Some of these products, including pastries like cookies and brownies, and gummies are very attractive to children, which has resulted in increased exposure of children, often accidentally, to cannabis. So, This brings the authors to the methodology of the paper, which is an observational study of the clinical effects following acute cannabis exposures, as reported to the Oregon and Alaska Poison Control Center between December 2015 and April 2017. There is quite a long methodology section describing how they were able to sort through, categorize, and analyze the poison control data, but... Bottom line, they reviewed all calls to this poison control center when people were exposed to cannabis and recorded what happened to those people. They excluded cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome-related calls, calls related to animal exposures, and calls that involved exposure to cannabis and exposure to another substance or multiple substances. But They did include calls that involved exposures to multiple forms of cannabis at the same time. Okay, on to the results. What did they find? Well, they found 253 cases of calls related to cannabis exposure. These exposures to cannabis occurred in people from 8 months of age to 96 years of age, and the mean age was 25. 54% of exposures occurred in males. Most calls did not provide a quantitative amount of cannabis consumed but when there was an amount reported exposures varied from 2 milligrams to 1000 milligrams of THC most subjects were exposed to 15 to 50 milligrams of THC and all of the cases requiring hospital admission involved exposures to 15 milligrams of THC or more Now, a quick aside, for your reference, most recreational cannabis doses are between 2.5 milligrams and 15 milligrams of THC. Five milligrams of THC has been proposed as a potential standard dose for recreational use. Back to the article. The authors move on to describe some of the trends they identified in the data. First, they looked at acute cannabis exposures by age. In kids under 12, edibles were the most common exposure, and nearly all exposures in this group were accidental. Interestingly, kids under 12 who were exposed to cannabis were less likely to develop tachycardia than adolescents or adults. In 90% of exposures, patients of all ages exposed to cannabis experienced adverse clinical effects. Neurotoxicity was the most common in all groups. Children under 12 were more likely to present with CNS depression. Adults were more likely to present with CNS excitation. And adolescents had an equal split of CNS excitation and CNS depression. Some examples of the CNS excitation syndromes would include paranoia, anxiety, panic attacks, or hallucinations, And some examples of the CNS depression symptoms would include ataxia, speech abnormalities, decreased loss of consciousness, and obtundation. And obviously CNS refers to the central nervous system. Most patients did not require any specific treatment. A small number of adults and adolescents required benzos for CNS excitation. And a small number of adults and adolescents required antiemetics for nausea and vomiting. Now, in terms of critical illness, three patients in this cohort were intubated as a result of their exposure. Two of these were infants, and one was an adult, and all three were exposed to high THC preparations. All developed severe CNS sedation and respiratory depression, with one of the infants having respiratory failure. All three were extubated within 24 hours and recovered well. The authors move on to looking at how different preparations of cannabis affected presentation. When plant material was consumed, CNS depression was more common than CNS excitation. When cannabis was smoked and inhaled, many subjects developed tachycardia, and CNS excitation was more common than CNS depression. When cannabis was consumed as an edible, tachycardia was less common than when cannabis was smoked and with edibles cns depression and excitation were both seen when cannabis was consumed as a high thc concentration resin that's a solid there were higher rates of cns excitation and tachycardia as compared to other routes when cannabis was consumed as a high thc concentration liquid there were also higher rates of CNS excitation and tachycardia as compared to other routes. And finally, high THC concentration formulations of cannabis were more associated with intubation than other forms of cannabis. Now, the authors of the article have a lot of great tables in the article, including a table detailing the clinical effects of acute cannabis exposure by age and by cannabis product type. They also have a chart that describes in detail each of the cases that were admitted to an ICU after cannabis exposure. To avoid this episode getting too long, I won't review each table in detail, but feel free to check out the paper and take a look for yourself. However, there are a few points that I wanted to call out from these charts. First, there were eight cases that required ICU admission which was a little over 3% of all the cases they reviewed. There was one death, which occurred in a 70-year-old man, and this accounted for 0.4% of all the cases they reviewed. He vaped a high THC concentration liquid, then developed a wide complex tachydysrhythmia and ST elevation on EKG. Autopsy revealed acute MI in the setting of multivessel coronary artery disease. There was also a very wide variety of symptoms that people experienced, and that's reported in Table 2 of the article. They broke down symptoms into several categories with specific symptoms listed in each category. Let's go through them to get a sense of just how many different symptoms people experienced with cannabis exposure. CNS excitation, people experienced anxiety, paranoia, hallucinations, agitation, psychosis, seizure, and tremors. CNS depression. People experienced decreased level of consciousness, coma, syncope, confusion, ataxia, and slurred speech. Other neurotoxicity. People experienced confusion, dysphoria, abnormal sensation, numbness, headache, and lightheadedness. Cardiac. People experienced palpitations and chest pain. GI. GI. People experienced nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain. Respiratory. People experienced respiratory depression, dyspnea, and cough. And finally, some people also experienced hyperthermia. Here were the top five individual symptoms from that list that I just went through. The number one symptom was nausea and vomiting, which occurred in 25% of patients exposed to cannabis. Number two was decreased level of consciousness, which occurred in 23% of patients exposed to cannabis. Number three was anxiety, paranoia, or panic, which occurred in 22% of patients exposed to cannabis. Number four was palpitations, which occurred in 12% of people exposed to cannabis. And number five was confusion, which occurred in 10% of patients exposed to cannabis so a wide variety of symptoms were experienced after exposure to cannabis. The authors move on to the discussion section, and we will hit the high points of the discussion section. The authors note that neurotoxicity was common following cannabis exposure with variable presentations. CNS depression was more common in pediatric patients, and the authors postulate that this may be because the weight-based dose of cannabis is greater than in pediatric patients due to their small size. The authors follow this by noting that there was an increased risk in respiratory depression and intubation when concentrated THC products were consumed, particularly in children. The authors synthesize these two points to highlight the increased risk with cannabis exposure in children as compared to adults and that greater efforts to reduce children's risk of cannabis exposure should be undertaken. The authors also note that when children were exposed to cannabis, it was most often accidental and the exposure to cannabis most often came from a cannabis product belonging to a family member. Okay, so that is the end of the first article. I think the article corroborates what I expected to be the case. Kids are more vulnerable to cannabis toxicity. Edibles are appealing to kids and account for the majority of exposures in kids, and high THC concentration products have a greater risk of toxicity in all age groups. Now, this was obviously helpful information, but I still felt like I needed more information on cannabis toxicity, so I went back to PubMed and found a second article, which was published in Stat Pearls in 2022. The title was Cannabinoid Toxicity, and the lead author was Brian Kelly. This second article covers a lot of the same topics as the first article, so I will hit the highlights. The authors of this article address the pathophysiology of cannabis toxicity, which it sounds like has not been fully worked out. There are two cannabinoid receptors in the body that are part of the endocannabinoid system, CB1 and CB2, both of which are G-protein linked receptors. CB1 receptors are mostly located in the brain, while CB2 receptors are mostly located in the periphery. Stimulation of CB1 receptors in the brain leads to a modulation of various neurotransmitters including acetylcholine, glutamate, GABA, dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. While the exact details have not been worked out, excessive stimulation of CB1 receptors by cannabis such as with an accidental ingestion or acute heavy use, puts all of these neurotransmitters out of balance due to the effects of the CB1 receptors. And the cannabinoids found in natural cannabis are only partial agonists at the CB1 and CB2 receptors. Synthetic cannabinoids are full agonists at the CB1 and CB2 receptors and thus cause even more stimulation of CB1 in the brain which is why synthetic cannabinoids are more likely to cause toxicity than natural cannabis. Moving on to the toxicokinetics of cannabis toxicity. The authors note, quote, The toxic effects of cannabinoids are secondary to overstimulation of the endocannabinoid system, end quote. The onset of cannabis toxicity after exposure or consumption depends on the route of use from less than 30 minutes after inhalation up to 4 hours after oral consumption. The duration is also dependent on the route of use, lasting 2 to 6 hours after inhalation and lasting 8 to 12 hours after oral consumption. The authors move on to the signs and symptoms of cannabis toxicity, which we covered extensively in Article 1, so I will just add one additional note from this section. Cannabis toxicity can, also, due to the changes in neurotransmitter function from overstimulation of the CB1 receptor in the brain, cause some pathomimetic toxicity. This can include, in severe cases, rhabdomyolysis, hyperthermia, seizures, and renal failure. The authors conclude this second article with a discussion of the treatment of cannabis toxicity. Quote, Treatment of cannabinoid toxicity is largely supportive and focuses on symptomatic and supportive care. Most adult patients with cannabis toxicity improve on their own with observation, end quote. For pediatric patients, the authors note that there is a higher risk of toxicity and observation may need to be for longer. Also, social services may need to be involved to ensure that the home environment is safe. When there is severe cannabis toxicity, the authors recommend benzodiazepines and antipsychotics to address agitation, hallucinations, and psychosis. Tachycardia can be managed with benzodiazepines and IV fluids. Considering that cannabis toxicity can cause some pathomimetic toxicity, patients with vascular risk factors may need to be evaluated for cardiac ischemia. Seizures, obviously, would be treated with benzodiazepines. The authors note that most patients can be observed for six hours for improvement and or resolution of symptoms, and discharged home if improved. For CNS depression, confusion, seizures, or persistently abnormal vital signs, patients may need admission. When edible products are consumed, observation may need to be longer due to the longer duration of effects from edibles. If patients do not clear or return to baseline, then obviously further workup would be needed as cannabis toxicity will resolve on its own once the cannabis is metabolized. And that concludes our second article on cannabis toxicity. Now, before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to go back to this term, greening out, that I heard from the high school students that I was talking to. I searched the term on PubMed and found nothing, so I went to a general internet search. I found an article written by a treatment program called Boca Recovery Center entitled, What is Greening Out? This is not a peer-reviewed article, so take the information from the article with a grain of salt, but the article did list several scientific articles as references, so there's at least some component of evidence-based information here. Let's dig in to this article. The article begins with the simple statement, quote, greening out occurs when an individual engages in overuse of marijuana, which causes them to get sick. Essentially, greening out occurs when someone overdoses on cannabis, end quote. The article further notes that the risk of so-called greening out increases when cannabis is mixed with other drugs or alcohol. The symptoms of greening out are described as pale skin, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, disorientation, anxiety, panic, and in severe cases, hallucinations. As an aside, if those symptoms sound familiar, it's because they are the symptoms of cannabis toxicity described in the first article. Moving on, this third article notes that greening out comes from ingesting high amounts of cannabis or THC-containing products and that the risk of greening out increases with the use of high-THC-containing products. Again, consistent with the first article we reviewed from PubMed. This third article moves on to note that regular cannabis use will cause tolerance to cannabis, and the risk of greening out increases when a large amount of cannabis is used in individuals with low or zero tolerance. The article moves on to a brief section on what do you do if you green out, and it's pretty simple. The article counsels that most episodes of greening out will resolve within 24 hours and that intense symptoms should prompt seeking medical attention. The article recommends that mild or moderate symptoms be managed with rest, lying down, oral hydration, and, if not too nauseated, eating a meal. Next, the article discusses how to prevent greening out, and it's very simple, quote, The best way to prevent greening out is to use cannabis products judiciously. Do not consume too much, End quote. The article also points out that it may take a while to feel the effects of edible cannabis, so consuming multiple doses of edible cannabis back-to-back should be avoided. The article concludes with some information for patients on cannabis use disorder and the treatment for cannabis use disorder. Okay, so we've done a pretty good review of this topic. Let's wrap up this episode on cannabis toxicity and greening out with some take home points. Number one, cannabis toxicity is the result of overstimulation of the endocannabinoid system, which causes disruption of the normal function of multiple neurotransmitter systems in the brain. Number 2. Functionally, cannabis toxicity can be thought of as a cannabis overdose, as it is the result of consuming enough cannabis to overstimulate the endocannabinoid system. For individuals who consume cannabis regularly and have tolerance, it will take more cannabis to cause toxicity compared to those who do not have tolerance, such as children. Number three, the top five symptoms of cannabis toxicity reported in one paper were nausea and vomiting, decreased level of consciousness, anxiety, paranoia, or panic, palpitations, and confusion. Number four, as cannabis affects multiple systems of the body, cannabis toxicity can manifest in multiple ways, affecting the neurologic, cardiac, gastrointestinal, and respiratory systems. Number five, in children under 12 most episodes of cannabis toxicity are due to accidental exposures to edibles. Number six, the risk of cannabis toxicity and the severity of cannabis toxicity are increased in children due to their small body size and when high THC concentration products are used. Number seven, The onset and duration of cannabis toxicity varies by route of use, with the time to onset and duration after consumption being longer with edible cannabis products. Number eight, treatment of cannabis toxicity is supportive, with nearly all cases resolving within 24 hours and most cases resolving within six hours. And number nine, greening out is a term used to refer to cannabis toxicity in the cannabis-using community. And that wraps up this episode. Please consider sharing this podcast with a colleague or two if you find it helpful. Drop me a line at addictionemac at fastmail.com. If you have any feedback or reach out on Twitter, the handle is addictionemac. Thank you for what you do, and don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.